What do you know this morning? What is it that you know that you know? Start thinking about what, what are the things you take for granted that you know? What's two plus two? Four. Most of the time. Most of the time. Two rabbits plus two rabbits could be a dozen. How do you spell your name? How long have you known that? Where'd you get that information? How do you know the things you know? And are you sure you know or you think you know? You know? You've had educators. You've had uh, various people come into your life and share things with you. Your earliest, earliest teachers were probably your parents. They're the ones who taught you your, your alphabet, taught you to count. Probably the ones who told you how to spell your name and had helped you learn how to write it. Those first bits of knowledge that you started gathering in the kitchen when your mom put a couple of pieces of macaroni on the counter and had you count them. How many, how many pieces of macaroni? Or if you, were, if you were a kid who had a hard time with the focus on math, it was candy. What do you know? How did you learn it? How did you get to be so knowledgeable? This morning we're just going to open what's going to be a very quick glance into the book of Ezekiel. Most people skip Ezekiel because it's weird. Ezekiel sees all these kinds of things in there and you're like, wheels inside of wheels and animals with all these faces and all this stuff is going on. I don't understand. We're going to take more of a macro look at Ezekiel. What is he trying to say? What's What's the point? What, what's the bigger issue here in this book of Ezekiel? As we look at it today, I want to encourage you to read it at home. But I want, you, I want to encourage you to read it sort of quickly. Because you can easily get bogged down. I want you just to kind of walk through it quickly. I, I, I read through it um, this last week quite a bit. And as I've been reading through it, certain things have been sticking out. Certain things have been... Have been right in front of my face over and over again. One of them is this phrase. I have it quoted here from Ezekiel chapter 28, but it's all over the book. I've counted about, well, 40 plus times when this phrase is used in some manner. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Then you will know. After this, you'll know. After you take an apple and you cut it in half, you can do fractions. After that, you will know. Right? Only a few of you shook your head. There are certain things that after this you'll know. After you've experienced it, you'll know. After you touch the hot stove the first time, you'll know what hot is, right? You'll, you'll know that it was hot, right? Beyond question, you'll know. Certain things make knowledge plain. If Ezekiel is saying anything, he is saying where God is trying to make absolutely plain absolutely certain that you know he is God, that the various parties being spoken to will know that he is God. Not, not question, not guess, not think, but know that he is God. Why is that such a big deal? What's been Israel's problem? They've worshipped everything and anything. They have performed all sorts of rites from 
from the sublime to the divine to the ridiculous to try to manipulate the heavens. Over and over and over again, God has come to them and said, look, remember the first commandment? It's the first commandment because it's the first commandment. It's primary. It's foundational. It's a cornerstone. If you don't get this one right, everything else is going to be a mess. There's only one God. I'm him. Rocks, trees, even the sun, the moon, and the stars, they don't do anything. They're just inanimate objects. Can't talk to you. Can't hear your prayers. Over and over again, this is what you hear from Isaiah. This is what you heard from Jeremiah. It's what you hear from Ezekiel. It's what you're going to hear from Hezekiah. It's what you're, from, not from Hezekiah. It's what you're going to hear from Haggai. It's what you hear over and over again in the Bible. Hosea says it. Zechariah says it. Malachi says it. God is God. Everything else is not. Stop worshiping things that are not God. And this book is attempting to get those it's talking to, to know one thing for sure, that he is God and that there are no others, that he is the Lord. So I want us to get a quick setting. We'll we'll go through this quickly. We are now about a thousand years since the Exodus, about a a, a thousand years since Charlton Eston came down with with the Ten Commandments. We're about a thousand years from the Exodus. We're about 500 years since David posed for this, this particular statue. We're about 500 years since David. Or 100 years since the capture of the northern tribes. Now stop us up for a second. If we were, we were part of California, right? And, and we were our own little nation. And, uh, and suddenly um, the Argentinians came up from South America and took all of the people south of Bakersfield with them. After the applause was down... Just kidding, just kidding, Dodger fans, just kidding. But do you think if God said that all happened because you guys were doing these bad things, these bad things need to stop, do you think you would get it? Do you think you would know? Or would after a hundred years had passed, you kind of go, eh, you know, they're, eh, I don't care, South South if, uh, if Southern California is Argentina, who cares? You know? Would after a hundred years you just get used to it? Would you get used to stopping at Highway 5 somewhere before, the, before Bakersfield, you know, Oildale or someplace? That's the end of Highway 5 and you're in a new country? Would you get used to that? Would you just kind of go, oh, okay. Need a passport to go to Santa Barbara? Eh, it's a hundred years. That's a couple of generations. Would you still know... Would you still understand? Would you still keep it close? Would you still be aware that the reason that it happened was because of what we had done? It's been a hundred years since the northern ten tribes have disappeared. It's been 13 years since Daniel was taken captive. The original captivity is in 605. Now, as Ezekiel starts writing, it's been about 13 years since Daniel, the first group, was taken captive. Think about all the things you get used to. And if you have a 13-year-old child, you got used to that in the last 13 years, right? Think of all the things you adjust to. Some of, how many of you have been married for a decade or so? You got used to that, right? Think of all the things you can just adjust to. It's been 13 years since Daniel and, and the politically and, and, and uh, educationally elite people of Israel have been taken off to Babylon. 
it's been not quite so long. It's, it's only been about five or six years since about 10,000 other people who were considered in the upper echelons priests and leaders in Israel were taken off to Babylon. So when we find ourselves here, as Ezekiel starts to write in 593 B.C., we find that people are learning to adjust to the captivity. And Ezekiel is speaking to those people. How do they know what they know? How, do they, how would they know why they're there? How do they know what God has done? How do they know for certain what they're supposed to do? I was reading some, uh, some articles, some sort of scholarly articles on the subject of the, of the Israelite exile. Exile. One of the interesting things it said was there are lots of people exiled all over the place. There are people in Egypt. We know about them. There are people up in Syria. There are people who are in Edom. There are people who have gone all around to escape what's going on in Israel. The Babylonians have come in. They've just thrashed the place. And lots of people just ran escaping to all, in all different directions. This is the, really the first dispersion of Israel after the Assyrians, because when the Assyrians take the northern ten tribes and disperse them, we never see them again. But these groups are, are, are homogeneous groups. They've gone off to Edom, but they're still staying together. They've gone off to Egypt, but they're still staying together. If you read Jeremiah, you find out that a group that went off to Egypt, Jeremiah was in the midst of them. They actually took Jeremiah with them to Egypt. He went with them. We're not certain whether he was a volunteer or not, but he's in Egypt. When all of this is going on and all these people have gone in these various places, the, the author asked the simple question, which I had never thought of before. He said, why didn't any of these groups come back and build the temple? They had easy access. They could have come and gone as they wanted. Why didn't any of them gather the resources and the, and the materials and, and come back and start rebuilding the temple or resettling Jerusalem? Why does it take these people from Babylon and why are they the ones? And the author's argument is why we're having this conversation over the next few weeks about exilic prophets, prophets of the exile. The author's argument was simply this. The people who had gone off to Babylon had prophets. They had Jeremiah who was speaking to them from a distance. They had Daniel who was speaking on their behalf to the kings. <coughs> and they had Ezekiel. There was somebody there help guiding them, helping them to become what they were going to become, a nation who was now completely loyal to God, loyal to a fault, in fact. They would never again go after the, the gods of their neighbors. They would never again bow down to a foreign god. How did they get there? So... We know that they have been around now over there for about 13 years. Do you think you would know what not to do if you'd been hauled off in captivity and you'd been there for 13 years? Do you think you would know what God sent you there for and what not to do anymore? Okay, we'll take a vote. Raise your hand if you think after 13 years of being hauled off to Babylon, you would figure out that God was upset with what you were doing and stopped doing it. Raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand if you don't think you would figure it out. Okay, okay, okay. They're with the second group. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. When Ezekiel's being told who he's going to be ministering to and what's going on, he says, Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have, have transgressed against me. Note the next phrase. 
to this very day. For they are impudent, impudent and a stubborn children. So they have transgressed and they're still transgressing. They are still busy doing all the things that I told them not to do. They're still doing things that I told them to stop doing. They've brought their sin with them to Babylon. Are you surprised by that? There's a phrase in the 12-step world that says, wherever you go, there you are. True? Wherever you go, there you are. You drag yourself around with, with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, there you are. And they are off to Babylon. They've been there for 13 years. And they've dragged a lot of that attitude towards God with them. And Ezekiel is speaking into that to try to change the way they think and change the things they know. You see, what the Canaanites had taught them was that rain comes down from the sky because of Baal. And, and the plants grow up from the ground because of Asherah. And this and that and the other gods were controlling all the various things around them, including the sun and the moon and the stars. And they were worshiping all of those things. And they said, these are the things we know. When they went off to Babylon, all the Babylonians worshiped the same stuff. And so they weren't really making a good, fast transition back toward God. So how are the folks doing back home? So back in Jerusalem, things are pretty rough. All the leaders are gone. Kings are gone. The, 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 the uh, Babylonians are picking their kings now. Babylonians are ruling them. Their governors over them from Babylon. The, uh, the, the, the priests are gone. Pretty much everybody who has a bank account with anything in it is gone. And you have just a handful of people that have been left there to try to maintain things. The Babylonians didn't want to completely decimate the population. They wanted to leave a little bit of something there to keep Israel functional. They would like to get taxes. And if there's no one there, there's no one to tax. It's not unreasonable for them to do this. So how are they doing? Have they learned anything from two sieges of their city and losing twice and having the, having the prophet Jeremiah say to them over and over again for 20 years, this is happening because you're serving foreign gods. This is happening because you're serving foreign gods. Turn back to God and this won't happen. Turn back to God and this won't happen. How are they doing with this? Jeremiah is still there. He's still saying the same things. What's going on? Well, Ezekiel sees four different images around the temple. This is the last one. This is the, it says, each of them says, and then, and then there's a worse thing, and then there's a worse thing, and then there's a worse thing. Here's the worst of the worst. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. How are they doing back home? Have they figured it out? Have they, have they gained any more information? Do they know anything? Do they know better? Not going so good, is it? So as Ezekiel begins his ministry in, in far-off Babylon, Jeremiah is concluding his ministry in Israel. In fact, it won't be long until they're out of there, that Jeremiah is taken away to, to Egypt. Daniel's beginning his ministry with the king of Babylon, with Nebuchadnezzar. This is the setting. This is what we find. In spite of all the stuff that has happened to them, they don't seem to be learning anything. Now, I want to stop for a sec. I want to pull you back from the, from the uh, 6th century B.C. And I want to ask you, is there any application of this to you and I 
Have you ever done this? Have you ever absolutely known what God wanted you to do or known what was causing your problem and kept doing it? You know how I get fat? It's this. I am absolutely certain that if I do less of this, there will be less of me. But I still do this. How are you doing with that? Some of you were born skinny. You're never going to get fat. And you're going, I don't know what your problem is. I eat anything I want. Well, bless you. All the rest of us fat people, bless you. Some of you have learned that this is your problem and you've stopped. You've, you know, you've did something to that arm that slowed it down. You stopped having this problem. You started eating different things. Whatever it was, you made a change. But for most of us, look around. No, no, don't look around. For most of us, we know what causes this problem and we still find ourselves having the same problem, right? Now, honestly, you know, that is a, a much more minor issue than probably bowing down to Baal. But we all know things that we could change that would make an impact on our lives, right? We know things that would benefit us, that would change the way we go about things and would change our impact on our, change and impact our life, but we don't do them. We know that if we got up a half hour earlier and we got down on our knees and we prayed and we studied and we really emphasized that, that worship with God, it would change the way we go about life. It would change the things we do. We know that if we read the paper with prayer on our heart instead of disdain, I read the paper, I hear the news and it's like, oh, stupid, oh, dumb, oh, stupid, instead of, oh, Lord, let me pray for this guy. It would change my attitude about the, the day and about the people around me. I get on the freeway and I look out at the people around me and I think, does anybody know how to drive besides me? And everybody else gets on the freeway and they look at me and they go, does anybody know how to drive besides me? We know there are things that we are practicing all the time that are, that are affecting negatively our lives. Now, it may not be worshiping the sun with our backs to the temple, but a lot of things we know. There are a lot of things we know. So on the horizon in the next few years, really, quite quickly, Jerusalem will be destroyed in 587 B.C. city will be destroyed. temple will be destroyed. Everything will be decimated. The last of the people will be hauled off. The Bible's description of, the, of what's left is simply that there are a few poor people there. Everybody else is gone. People so poor that even the Babylonians didn't want them. People so poor that the government didn't come looking for them. They weren't worth pursuing for tax purposes. The IRS didn't even care that they were there. They just left them behind. Into that event, Ezekiel speaks. He warns the people of Israel this is coming. He warns the people of Israel that this is coming. Because he knows it's going to break the heart of the people who have been taken off to Babylon to find out the news that's coming. God begins to warn them through the prophet Ezekiel that this is coming. He's warned them through Jeremiah before. Jeremiah told them this was coming. But if you recall much about Jeremiah, they all discounted Jeremiah. Jeremiah doesn't know what he's talking to. Jeremiah's a crazy person. They put him in, they throw him in jail. They drop him into a cistern. Jeremiah has all kinds of trouble trying to speak into this issue. And Ezekiel in far off Babylon starts talking about the same thing. 
If you read the text through, you'll find that he's got a lot of judgmental commentary. But pay attention. The end of almost every one of those judgmental paragraphs is a so that they may know. So that they may know. So that they may know. So how does God handle the problem? Well, I've already kind of told you. He sent Jeremiah to Judah in 627. For 40 years he spoke to them. He sends Daniel to the Babylonian leaderships in 605, where he works for 70 years with the people and with the king. And he sends Ezekiel with the regular captives in 597. And he serves for at least 22. We know that his last prophecy, he describes the date, was, on, was 22 years into his time there. So, remember, back home when Ezekiel starts, they're worshiping the sun. And Ezekiel has shown the departure of God from the temple. So imagine how hard this was for him. Imagine how hard this was for the people to see this prophet of God. The vision God shows him is that God himself is leaving Israel. He's departing from the temple. God has packed his bags and he's out. How hard would that be to carry that message and to know that truth? One of the first things, first part of the book, Ezekiel tells the people is, I saw the glory of the Lord departing from the threshold of the temple. He's gone. You see, it wasn't Israel that made Jerusalem special or made the temple a neat place. It wasn't the Jews that made the temple something special. It was the presence of God. And he's gone. He's four or five years into his ministry as a prophet, and he tells him God's out. But listen also to what God begins to say to them. In the midst of all these commentaries about judgment, in the midst of all these things that he's describing, you guys are doing this thing wrong, you've got to stop it, you've got to doing this thing wrong, you've got to stop it, you're doing this thing wrong, you've got to stop it. Please stop. In Ezekiel chapter 11, Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, Although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, Yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. The glory of the Lord has departed from the temple and he's gone with you. The glory of the Lord has departed from the temple and he's gone with those of you who are faithful to him no matter where you've gone. The glory of the Lord has left. Temple's empty. He packed his bags. He closed up shop and he moved out. Him and any angel who was with him. But he traveled to the outer reaches of where the people of Israel had gone. And he said, wherever you are, I will be a little sanctuary for you, no matter where you find yourself. Israel would spread as a nation 
all the way north into Russia. Israel will spread as a nation all the way east into India and beyond. Israel will spread west all the way even to Mexico and South America. Israel will spread south deep into Africa. The nation of Israel, the followers of God, will disperse all over the world. And the scripture says, God says, wherever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself in all the countries of the world, I've sent you. I've censored you and kicked you out. I have thrown you out of the promised land. I have left the temple. I'm not there anymore. But wherever you find yourself, I'll be there. I'll be a little sanctuary for you right there. That promise carries forward to the believer today. Where you find yourself, there's a little sanctuary. God is there. You know, the sanctuary is gone. The temple's gone. There's no physical building where the presence of God is held. Throughout the Middle Ages, they kept saying, we got a little piece of God over here. We got a little piece of God over here. And people kept going around in the Middle Ages to all these little places where little pieces of God were supposed to be and holding worship services because there was a little piece of God collected here and there and there. No, 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 no. Instead, wherever the church went, There was the presence of God as a little sanctuary for the followers, for the believers, for the people. No matter where you find yourself, I will be there and I will be a little sanctuary for you in whatever country you're in. The Jewish church spread to all of those places that I mentioned. Christianity has covered the globe. I read about a just an Adventist church this week where they were in for prayer meeting in the middle of the, of the week. A tornado came through and blew the roof off. They huddled there in the corner. And the pastor's report to the Channel 4 News, according to what I was reading, was we didn't get a scratch. We knelt and we prayed and we squeezed into a little ball in the corner. And the roof blew off and the tornado went by. And we were held as a little sanctuary there. The building isn't the sanctuary. People of God, they are the church. And the presence of God goes with the church. And he covered them over. I read about a a church in Egypt where a mob went in back in the, uh, the Arab Spring a few years ago. A mob went into the church looking for the pastor, couldn't find him. They searched the port, the whole place they were trying to kill this pastor. Didn't find him. He was hiding in an upstairs apartment apparently they didn't know about, and they set the place on fire. His Muslim neighbors came and rescued him. They came and rescued him and his wife from the fire. The place burned down. And the Muslim government of Egypt said, this is appalling. And they rebuilt the church. They opened the church just... In the last week or so. You see, wherever the people of God are, it doesn't really matter how all the political factions are going around it. God is still a sanctuary for them. God is still a sanctuary for us. God is still a sanctuary wherever we find ourselves and however we ended up there. Israel's in Babylon because of bad behavior, not because God said, let's go on vacation to Babylon. He didn't say, let's go as missionaries to Babylon. He said, you guys are worse than the Babylonians. Get out of here. Go back to Babylon. It's where you all came from in the beginning. You're all, you're all Chaldeans. There's a Chaldean in charge of Babylon. Go back. 
And they end up off in Babylon. And God says, even when you're there, I know my rod has been hard on you. I know I have laid a difficult thing upon you. I know that I have, I have scattered you all over the world. Wherever you go, I'll be a sanctuary for you there. It's a physical sanctuary. It's a spiritual sanctuary. It's a sanctuary of peace in the midst of storm. It's a sanctuary of assurance when facing death. Wherever you go, I'll be a sanctuary for you there. Wherever country you find yourself in, I'll be there. You're gone, but you're not abandoned. You're punished, but you're not forgotten. You're still my children. I'm trying to teach you to know that I am God. So why scatter them? I will pass. I will make you pass under the rod. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Remember the covenant said if this happened, if they, dis- if they disobeyed God, if they dis- didn't follow God, if they worshipped other gods, if they would lose their way. He described this very thing. I will bring you under the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when, you, when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country which I raised my hand and oath to give your fathers. Look, I'm taking you away, and the punishment there is so that then you will know that I am the Lord. I'm going to bring you back, and when I bring you back, then you will know that I am the Lord. And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled. And you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. What is he saying? You're going to figure it out. You're going to learn from this. You're going to know that I am God. You're going to know that this is the reason you're out here. You're going to know why you've been wandering. You're going to know why you ended up in Babylon. You're going to understand. You're going to finally figure this out. Finally, you're going to know. You're going to know you caused the problem. I didn't. And when you know, it'll change the direction of your life. What is the, since we've already started down the 12-step description this morning, what is the first thing you have to do in the 12 steps towards transformation out of your addictive patterns of your life? What's the first thing that a person has to do? You have to admit that you have a problem. You have to admit that you have a problem. So I try 12-step programs. You stand up at the beginning and you introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Walt and I'm an alcoholic. You state your name and you state the problem. You don't deny it. You don't pretend. You don't say, hi, my name is Walt and I used to be an alcoholic. You don't say, hi, my name is Walt and I'm kind of an alcoholic. You don't say, hi, my name is Walt and I'm a weekend alcoholic. None of that. None of that stuff. You come right to it, you admit it, and you deal with it. Hello, my name is Walt and I'm a sin- sinner. This is the Apostle Paul. Hello, my name is Paul. And I am the chief of sinners. Admit that there's a problem. Israel had to understand and admit that there was a problem. To understand that they were the cause of all the evil that they had experienced. They had been under a hard, hard time. It was difficult to see their city sieged. It was difficult to see their city fall. It was difficult to see their temple burned to the ground. It was difficult to be taken off to Babylon. All of those things were difficult, but they had to understand. God had not done this to them because he just was capricious one day and decided to. That God had said... You no longer represent me. Your temple no longer represents me. Your activities no longer represent me. We've got to stop. I refuse to be codependent with you any longer. I refuse to continue along pretending it's okay for you to keep behaving this way. Pretending that the whole world can look down on you and say, Hey, they can do it. Why can't we? 
The whole world sees the people of God worshiping the Son, and they think that's okay with God. And God says, no, we can't. We can't do that anymore. He turns his face from them, and the enemies at the borders come rushing in. Babylonians at the lead, and God says, they're under my direction. So that you'll know, so that you'll know, so that you'll know that I am God. And that everything else is a rock or a stick or a tree. So that you'll know. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have dealt with you for my name's sake. Not according to your wicked ways. When I have brought you back for my name's sake. Not because you're special. Not because of the behaviors that have been so evil. Just because that's who I am. I'm dealing with you out of my heart, not because of your behavior. Is there anything more important that you can think of than knowing that? What are all the things you know? Are any of those facts, are any of those bits and pieces of information, are any of them more important than that? By this point, Israel had mastered building, and they had built spectacular buildings. Jerusalem and the temple were beautiful. No question about it. People, people, all over the world commented on it. When one of the, one of the, the, the people who comes to visit in First Kings comes, they, are, they say of, of visiting Israel and visiting Jerusalem, I wasn't told the half of the things that I've seen. They had mastered it. They had mastered the land. They had control. They had, they had, they had complete safety and peace. They were good. They're, 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 the enemies of Israel at bay all around them. They were good. But none of that mattered because they didn't know God. Think of all the bits and pieces you've gathered. Some of you have doctoral educations. Some of you have doctorates in educating others. Some of you have been on your job long enough that you can do it in your sleep and do sometimes. Some of you have bits and pieces of knowledge that the rest of us would love to have. It's amazing sometimes to sit down and listen to some folks talk and start hearing, you know, I, I hear, I, I hear Canis and, and Peterson talk about music and albums and stuff, and they're like, oh, that was so-and-so, and that was so-and-so, and he did that, and they were saying this, and they did this, and I'm like, how do you guys know all that? Bruce Wilbur has tried several times to tell me, to explain to me how stock markets actually work and how puts and calls and all those things make sense. And I, I'm trying to figure it out. And I, every time he tells me, I think I know. And then I, I go away and I don't know. There are bits and pieces of information that each one of you has that all the rest of us would love to have. 
But are any of them more significant than that? You see, so what's God doing with Ezekiel? What's he doing in Israel? He's saying there's, there is a cornerstone missing. And without this cornerstone, the whole building falls. You have to know that I am God. And there are no others. It's not the sun, the moon, the star, the trees, the plants. Nothing else. Know this one piece above all else that I am God. Know this one thing. So today, how do you know that God is God? How sure are you this morning that God is God? Would anybody else know that you know that? Would your neighbors be sure that you know that God is God? You see, Israel had two problems. They didn't behave in a manner that represented they know, they knew, and their neighbors didn't know as a result. How do you know? Is it the answer to your prayer? Is it that moment when you gave your heart to Jesus and it finally gave you peace? Is it that time when you stand up and you worship and you sing and you praise and you're just certain? Have you searched the scriptures and found them to be true? Have you read about the prophets and the prophecies and they've given you an anchor? How do you know today? How are you sure? Have you been through a difficult time under the rod that was so hard you didn't think you could survive it? And yet you did. And on the other side of it, you said, I only made that true. I only got through that experience because I know, because I found out, because it's true that God walked with me in it. How do you know that you know this morning? Is there anything more important? And what importance would you place? on that knowledge today. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations but also brought them back to their land. There's a tremendous amount of beauty in this book that reads a lot like Revelation. There's a tremendous amount of of transformative information here in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is the one who said, God would take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel is the one who said to the prophet, speak to the dry bones. Ezekiel is the prophet who holds up the highest Spotlight on our need to know is the anchor for everything else that God is God. In the 21st century, do we know? How important is it? Let's pray.
Father, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to learn from the experiences of others. Help us to see in the experience of Israel that to stray away, to make the center of our worship anything but you, is going to be a problem. Help us to anchor our faith. So that in the depths of our heart, in the core of our spirit, we know that you are God. And that from that root, everything else will come. That we can have the peace of a sanctuary for ourselves that is you. Because we know you. That we can rest and trust and have faith in whatever comes, no matter what, what befalls us, no matter where we have to live, no matter what we experience. Because we know you. I pray for our children and I pray for our grandparents. That there would be a deep abiding knowledge that you are God. There is no other. And you can be trusted. Amen.